0: Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants and how they found their own software success. And now let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days, no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish a project at no extra cost, contact us at onestop.fm, and let's talk about your SaaS MVP project today. Today on the Big Break Software Podcast, we have Eric Frankel of AdGreets. Eric is the CEO and and founder of AdGreets, the industry's leading video personalization tech platform that helps build stronger relationships with their customers and your customers and to easily increase engagement five to seven times by producing and deploying thousands of smart ads optimized by AI and machine learning in real time. Eric will tell us how he came up with the idea, how he funded the MVP, gained his first few customers to find product market fit, and how he's got himself up to 400,000 MRR and beyond. How are you today, Eric?
1: I am so great, Jordy. Thanks for inviting me here.
0: Well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So um, I usually like to start the show off just by asking what specifically, what specific pain point do you solve for your customers?
1: Um, The pain point or pain points are the following. Um, The history of advertising has been about making one ad or message generic, so typically treating you and myself if we were to see an ad or message the same way a 12-year-old might see it or a 92-year-old, yet we're all unique and we're all different. So rather than, for example, a Macy's ad in the United States telling you and me about the super Saturday sale where we can save 40% on items like these and showing you and me dresses, high heels, and women's jewelry, and the commercial ending, we would make hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of versions that would get much more granular and talk to you about your zippy Shirt and me about my black t shirt, remind us where the local store is. And so uh, we use data to make m- multiple, multiple versions of ads and messages on every kind of ad platform in the world. Um, so that rather than you going, why are they showing me an ad about diapers or lipstick? Um, mm. They're showing you ads that are relevant. And then relevant we make lots of versions. Yeah. For the recipient. Yeah. Okay. All
0: right. Obviously. Um sounds very interesting so let's dive into how you um came up with this so um this show is really about um kind of the zero to product market fit journey so let's start um with that how did you like walk me back to sort of where you were before you started this why you know like why you started this and like how you came up with the idea
1: So briefly, I was president of Warner Brothers, the movie television company, and I had done that for 30 years, and I had this very significant job. You were the
0: president of
1: that? Really? Okay. Yeah, there are 16 presidents, so I was television and movie distribution uh, in the U.S., somebody else does international, somebody else makes the movies, and so on and so forth. So I did that, and I had a very significant uh, career there, and I had just spent the last decade... Convincing the world that television should no longer be about appointments, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock tonight, television but that we, should, uh, that we should go to an on-demand basis where you and I can look at a list of thrillers or, or romantic comedies or documentaries and press a button. And all of my clients who I did billions of dollars worth of business, the chairman of the largest media cable satellite and internet company, said, worst idea I've ever heard, no one would ever press a button. What are you talking about? And I spent 12 years convincing them that that was the trend. They all started... Yeah to embrace it and i woke up one day before i wore black t-shirts and when i wore luxury clothing as a president of Warner brothers and i said i have next to no relationship or affinity with any brand because most brands push out emails to me that look like a letter from 1964 or an email that looks like a print ad from 1986 or the commercials that i grew up with on on regular television, had moved to Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And there was usually one version for every person in the country and maybe even the world, even though we're all unique. I knew there was lots and lots of data out there. So one day I said, I'm going to reinvent this $768 billion business called advertising and talk to my wife about what she cares about, my mother, my sister, my two sons, myself. And, uh, and I left Warner and I got together with the former chairman of the Walt Disney Company, the former chairman of 20th Century Fox, the former chairman of HBO, the former president of CBS. And we've now been banging this out for a decade. And the world has finally caught on in a similar fashion to that. It took 12 years for the for everyone to understand streaming. We're sort of yeah. on the same kind of long-term tra- trajectory here.
0: Okay, great. So you started... so. Uh... So it sounds like you started this about 12, 12 years ago. Eleven
1: right? years ago, last week.
0: Okay, ele- okay, perfect. Okay, so eleven years ago, you left. You left uh, Warner Brothers. Um, obviously, very successful career that you had there. Um, what was that like at the time? Where when you were telling like your wife that you were doing this and stuff? When you were telling people that you were doing this, were, was was there buy-in or was there was a sort of general resistance to this idea? Um,
1: well there was there there was buy in first of all you know I had I, I had a nest egg in place to protect us but yeah. you didn't you never realize how long and you do this regularly talk to people like myself everything that you think is going to work in a year or two or three and ends up taking 10 years the nest egg <laughs> doesn't last as long um, yeah. so there was you know buy in excitement and 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 all of that but you know years later and 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 slower growth and buy-in than you anticipated in your business plan uh people start to scratch their head and wonder if you're insane and your wife starts to say i think i loved you more when you were <laughs> super high earning one percenter who got to yeah. go to movie premieres that had cars that drove you around yeah and like
0: that. yeah okay fair enough Okay, so um, so tell me about the organization. Like when you first got together, you said you got together with the um, um, your your co-founder there. Did he have to leave his job as well?
1: No. So what I did was, you know, I sat around um, at Warner Brothers for a long time, looking at a variety of different things that I thought I wanted to do, and they were rather interesting, and there was a wide variety, and I finally settled. Um, on this one and built a business plan and a short deck and went out to a number of wealthy uh, people that I knew. And because I had money too, um, it was easier. Rather than just saying, hey, I have an idea. Can you give me money? I was able to match the investors. So no, all those other people stayed at their jobs, stayed at their careers. I put together at the time, you know, three and a half million, that became six and a half million, that became 12 million, and uh, went out and hired um, a team of executives to go into business with, and of course made dozens and dozens of errors along the way. Hired people who weren't necessarily right for this new world and new, new order, so I was hiring older people like myself, who came from major studios, and eventually replace them with 23 and 24 and 25 and 27 year olds, you know, who were born to do this um, and who got paid a lot less than the fat cats that I had hired. And we eventually, you know, we eventually and still today and tomorrow and next week continue to figure it out. And that's what's fun about it is, um, you know, you're reinventing Every day from the industry to how the hell do you, you know, run this business when you're no longer at a company called Warner Brothers, where you run a division, you know, where you're in charge of Harry Potter, Friends, um, you know, and uh, and all these gigantic, you know, brands. So do you
0: remember what the original like pitch deck was like if you were to walk into and you're trying to raise money for this? What was, like, if you're going to say in, like, one or two sentences, you try and you see me in the hallway and you want to grab my attention, say, hey, I want to borrow $2 million from you or whatever, but you only have, like, you know, like, one or two sentences to say what that, what the idea is. Do you remember what it was?
1: It was something to the effect of advertising is this, you know, multi-hundred billion dollar category that's broken, generic. There's a ton of data and there's a way to talk to people with commercials and messages that are relevant to them, that they, that will engage them and activate them. And this is where the world, you know, will go. And many people said, gee, that's smart. That makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, I'm in, you know, it started off with $250,000 type investments. And then as we got deeper and deeper, people would say, we love what you're doing. This is fabulous. And of course we'd be, we're running out of money. And I'd say yeah. I'm willing to put in another couple hundred thousand, and they'd said we'll put it in also, and you know, okay. and, now, and now we're you know we're we're at a you know we break even and and so on. Yeah. We so make money.
0: Going back to that time, then um, you you were able to get the money. What, what was like your first? Um, it sounds like it was like a software as a service. It is a software as a service. You hired all these big wigs from you know, it sounds like production studios, how did they fit into a SAS sort of team? Because it sounds like they're, they'd they be really out of place. Was the idea that they were going to go
1: out and handle sales or what was the idea? You no, know, it was, um, you know, we just, we brought in sort of overqualified but not qualified enough for this particular, you know, gig. So where we sort of got it right was in engineering. You know, uh, we brought in a CTO and he hired about 10 engineers to come and work for him and build this platform. And then, you know, there were lawyers and there were salespeople and there was a wide variety, you know, of of, of executives, but all of a sudden at a particular point, um, you know, you start to run up short on having money because there's not a lot of revenue coming in. And you sit there and you scratch your head and say, I think we have to let people go. And uh, and then we started to replace them with, uh, with younger people who were more qualified uh, for this world. And the young engineer who had come in as an intern uh, turned out to be better than the eight or nine other engineers. He took over the whole engineering department and, and turned it into this, you know, fabulous, uh, contraption that he's, that he's built that does all of these magical things.
0: Okay. So did this, did the CTO, the original CTO, did he, uh, is he still with you now? No, no, no. And he went on, he went
1: on, you know, to try to invent many other things. I mean, we're friendly. We like him. He's a nice man. Um, but you know, I learned that too. He was very good at organizing, but he wasn't a real coder. And uh, and I would say our, our our current CTO is less good at organizing, you know. But is a fabulous hands-on, you know, build that rocket ship.
0: Okay, um, so can you can you break down sort of the uh, initial like uh, how long did the MVP take? So starting with that.
1: Well, I mean, what we did is we spent about a year or more you know building a platform and it worked and then we went out and 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 started you know selling it and getting a client or two or three and you just constantly you know make mistakes um meaning primarily either either the technology doesn't work well enough that wasn't usually the problem usually the problem was Uh, figuring out how to make it easy for the client Um, because the client had had it very easy um, in their life, meaning they had an ad agency who came in historically and said, here's a good idea for, here are four good ideas for an ad. And the client would say, we like number three, let's make that one. And a media agency would walk in and say, we need a hundred million dollars to sell this through to America or the UK or whatever it is. And they'd say, you've got it. And that marketing executive um, would sit back in their chair. And now we were talking to them about making 100, 1,000, 10,000, or 3 million versions of that ad. And it was a lot more hands on and a lot more rigorous. And, um, and it would take a couple of months for it to really come to fruition. Um, so, you know, we just every day we learn how to make it, how to make it work better. You know, which is right. what, okay. what I find interesting.
0: When when you say it worked, I mean, can you t- can you like better define that? What does that mean? It worked. You had yeah. a platform, so like, what would like well, walk me well, through work, like how
1: what yeah. well, work Means can we get more people to buy this product? Can we get them to watch ads and or messages for longer? Can we get more people to click? Uh, Can we get more app downloads? So every campaign has specific, you know, goals, objectives, and KPIs. And and when you don't know what you're doing, you just sort of do this thing and say, hey, it looks like we did really well. Now we won't work with you unless we can go in and do a retroactive analysis. So we go in and we know what it costs you to get someone to buy a car and how long people watch your messaging for and how what and what kind of percentage of clicks you get and every metric that there is in this world of digital advertising. So then we're able to sit here and go, hey, if people were watching your ad for four seconds and now they're watching for 16 seconds, we're doing four times better. And if it costs $20 to get a customer and we're doing it for $5, we're, we're doing it for 25 cents on the dollar. And we're able to prove the efficacy of what we do, which convinces the clients to stay on because the whole goal is to get people to be annual clients and get that recurring revenue.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So um, your first customers, how did you gain them? Like, what was that like?
1: Um, Well, the interesting thing is, so first off, hired a lot of people um, from the ad industry at certain points to go out and pitch clients. But what I learned was, Because, again, remember, I was running television and movie distribution, so I didn't have relationships with Procter & Gamble or Kraft or General Motors or all those giant companies. And what I learned is that many people who sold products in the world of advertising didn't either. What they had was relationships with media buyers at ad agencies. And media buyers were used to doing the same thing all the time. They had these budgets and they spent X percentage on things called network television or cable television or these digital outlets. We were coming in with a completely new flavor that didn't fit into any of those buckets. And most of the media buyers were completely apprehensive. And the the sell through was really to a person at the brand. So Geordie, if you were the head of BMW and you were spending eight hundred million dollars a year on marketing in the U.S., was it a big deal for you to do a test with us for thirty-three thousand dollars a month, where now the ads would uh, there would be an ad that might talk about the performance of the car? Uh, an ad for someone else that might talk about the comfort, an ad for a young mother that talks about the safety with kids in the back seat, and then reminds you or your local BMW dealership, and the weekend's three days away, and there's never been a better time than this Wednesday to set up a test drive. Um, that sale is a lot better to the senior marketing guy at BMW than it is to a media buyer who's frequently just trying to keep the account and doesn't really wanna walk in and say, I've reinvented the wheel, I have something really important that we should test. So the old time people who dealt with media buyers, it turned out, didn't really have the relationships or chops to get the client. Um, So what we did is our whole business was, and to a large degree still is, we write letters to strangers all day long We've made the letter really compelling. We have 160 examples of huge success stories. And we write to people and try to get a meeting like I'm having with you today, where we show them a short custom deck, where we take their current ads and show them what a personalized or hyper-personalized version might look like on Facebook, on television, a push notification in an app or whatever it is based on what they do. And hope that they say, boy, that's a lot more compelling than what we do um, today, because there's a 20-year-old person in the ad for a 20-year-old and a 60-year-old person in the ad for a 60-year-old. And there's hopefully more relevance. So rather than running away from that ad, hopefully they'll be more engaged because we're talking to you about your zip, you know, polar tech um, versus talking to you about a dress that makes you scratch your head and say, why are they talking to me about dresses?
0: Okay. So, um, is it, so you said it's basically sounds like it's like cold outbound. So is it emails or do you actually do you're doing it's
1: email? So we oh, it very, is don't call anyone ever, we write emails. We finally figured out a system that's automated email number one, two, three, and four. So, okay. and they all have demos or they all have examples of campaigns. So it's a short, tight letter. It doesn't hurt that I'm the former president of Warner Brothers, which of course yeah. we mention. It doesn't hurt that my investors are the former chairman of all of these gigantic companies. And yeah. it doesn't hurt that there's a paragraph with gigantic brands in it. And that we yeah. do this you know, on more channels than anyone in the world and integrate with more data sources and all of that. And then there's a pretty picture of an ad that you click on And it shows you a wide variety of things we did for Procter & Gamble, you know, in 60 seconds, that sort of sells the concept. And, you know, if you're an innovative marketing executive and it's friendly and it's never a hard sell, we know we will get them all. It's just a matter, do they come in after four cards on the deck or do they call me back two years later and say, remember me, I get it now which is why I like to start off about the streaming story that took 12 years for anyone to understand. And tonight, everyone who's watching this is going to press a button and stream something when when in the old days people said, no one would ever do that, you're out of your mind. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So
0: originally, originally that's how you got your first few customers all out
1: on it. And then you all of a sudden you see results and you see success. So then you go to the next guy and you say, let let us tell you what happened when we did this for Amazon. Let us tell you what happened when we did this for, you know, this outlet, that outlet, you know, or or the other. And you just start to build on your own success. But of course the challenge is, which I would say about everybody, you know, in the big break software type business is, can you stay alive? while all of this is happening, because every week you're paying rent and you're paying insurance yeah. and paying employees and you're paying all these tech bills and you're getting new computers and you're doing all of that you know kind of stuff, your sixty bills that you pay each month while revenue, yeah. you know, is slim.
0: Yeah. Yep, that makes sense so let's let's talk a little bit about that because um you, you said that you went through a few iterations of the software, you had to basically go through your executive team and fire them all and hire on new people. Can you tell me like what it was like in those, fr- like, you know, like the first year, what how was, what was it, f- you guys feel like, okay, you're in MVP phase, like how much cycling through of, of different employees did you have
1: to do to-, to Oh no, everybody get- stuck around, that's the honeymoon. That's- Oh, with, okay. That you have a big pile of cash. Okay. that is you went out and you're shopping for offices and, you know, this is really pretty. Not that we were like a Facebook, you know, with free lunch and massages and all of that. So you get a pretty office, you know, you buy nicest furniture, not expensive furniture. You know, it's Ikea type furniture, but you you stock the whole place. Everyone gets shiny new computers and nothing's really happening except for you're building platforms and figuring out what you want to do. Yeah. Um, and that's the honeymoon stage. Uh, yeah. You know, it's all terrific. And then all of a sudden, as the cash gets depleted and as revenue takes longer to come about, um, is, 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 is where you run into those hurdles and challenges. And you have to figure out how to keep it going and alive and who needs to be replaced.
0: Yeah. So so when did you first uh, realize that you were like, oh, my God, we're uh, we need to raise some more money? Was it like how quickly after the MVP was it?
1: Um, I I mean, I would guess that about uh, two and a half years or two years into this, all of a sudden the pile of money has gone from being this big to this big. You know, payrolls, payrolls due on the 15th, payrolls due at the end of the month. How are we going to make this happen And and then you sit here and go, in reality, instead of having these 22 people, we could probably live with eight and 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 so on. And then you have to unfortunately tell everyone the bad news, whether you want to say I failed or we need to go a different direction. Um, But, you know, this is what it's like, you know, running your own business, which, of course, I hadn't done before because I had gone to work for this giant behemoth company that to yeah. a degree, you know, sat there and said, what can we give you to make your division better and thrive? And, and you know, it wasn't a big decision necessarily to get new computers and new this and new that. It was, you know, par for the course.
0: Yeah. And how was that for you letting go? I mean, like, oh, how did you horrible. handle that?
1: Horrible. It was It was it was horrible because I mistakenly hired lots of friends and colleagues who I had worked with before who are wonderful, great, loving, caring, nice people. Um, And I'm friends with most, um, you know, I don't think there's anyone that I'm not friendly with anymore. They understood, you know, they bought off on the dream also and they lived it and saw the honeymoon part and then they saw the holy moly we're spending all this money, not like outrageous amounts of money. This is a yeah. very frugal concern compared yeah. to, you know, uh, some other things. I mean, this is not a, uh, you know, company that's lost, you know, that loses nine hundred million dollars a quarter like Uber used to and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it was emotionally difficult, and there's, you know, many, many, many nights that you wake up at one, two, three o'clock in the morning and feel awful.
0: Yeah. Did you did it make you prolong uh, the decision to lay people or did you realize was there a time when you're your, like accountants like this oh, no, cash I flow is bad. We gotta, no, we need it, to do this. I, I think
1: you keep on pushing it off, pushing it off until you're yeah. like bleeding on the street corner. And then you say, guys, I got I got bad news. We got we got money to pay everybody for X number of additional weeks. Yeah. You may want to go home. Here's what we're going to pay you for another month. Um, yeah. I probably wrote a check to cover that to be yes. a less terrific boss. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody got jobs and everyone was talented and terrific and wonderful. Most of them had even take paid cuts to come to work, even though they were paying more than their eventual replacements received. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, when they worked at a Warner or wherever I took them from, they were even, you know, slightly higher paid. Everyone had equity in the company, still does. And everyone, um, you know, was in there to make this, you know a successful venture where they're an owner and they could you know hopefully generate enough revenue to buy that house or you know or whatever they wanted to do pay for their kids to go to college and all that kind of you know good stuff
0: yeah and and do you remember the time i mean when you got when, when are your cash flow net positive now i expect yeah. right yeah okay Do you remember about the time that you became cash flow positive and things were?
1: It just happened. So I have stopped. What happened after a while? Excuse me. Is the investors, you know, love the idea? They're really really nice, but you know, I stopped asking them for money. And um, when there was a bad week, a bad month, when people are late paying you, when anything happened, I continued to write checks to cover this. So when you talk about wives not being happy, that's a good reason yeah. why they're not happy. But uh-huh. I think off the top of my head, I haven't written a check, call it for nine months, and I don't see the need anymore. Um, so that's the break even. Um, but what, what you don't realize is you, you'd like to bring in eight more engineers, um, yeah. you want to give, you know, everyone needs a raise. Everyone needs a new computer. My guy says, Hey, I need a new computer. I was like, well, don't tell me you need a new computer. Not in a negative way. You know, what is the new, what is the computer you want cost? Cause you know, yeah. back at it's, you know, $5,100. So you start yeah. to multiply that times a lot of people and, you know, you can always spend more money. Um, you know, you want to make sure yeah, you have of course. insurance, health insurance, you know, yeah. dental, vision, all of those cyber insurance because you don't know what's going to happen and yeah. you know all those kind of things. So uh, and you know so it's not about foosball tables and it's not about dry cleaning you know and masseurs who come to the office in leather couches, uh, but it's about you know we think we've built the best in class technology, um, but most of our competitors have raised four six eight ten times more money than we have, so we don't want to get beaten. Because yeah. we're being outspent, right?
0: So you, uh, when when did you, when was the last time you raised investment money? We
1: haven't. I haven't seen any outside money for probably three or, or three or four years.
0: Okay, three or four like, years. So, so you <laughs> got to a point. You just like you're not going to ask. You were basically funding, self funding the company, so you're you're really now moving into more of a bootstrapping mentality. So
1: it moved so, into a bootstrapping mentality where, for you know, one hundred and fifty or three hundred fifty thousand bucks a year, you know, I would cover the deficit.
0: Yeah, and and how, how like like how did you feel when you were doing that? Because I I gives a a huge amount of confidence Were you, or was there doubt at times? Like, Oh my
1: God. I I actually felt fine. So I'm confident. I think we've invented something great, by the way, but of course I'm smart enough to to say, am I drinking the Kool-Aid and am I insane? But I wasn't really worried. I was only worried because I would have to tell my wife. I'd say, honey, I'm, 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 I just put another hundred thousand bucks into this thing. And, you know, and she'd be like, Oh my God, are we gonna, you know, be eating yeah. more food and living in a studio apartment on the w- wrong side of town. Um, yeah. you know, one of these days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how is she, how is she now? Is she feeling like, is she feeling more comfortable? She's seeing it now.
1: Um, She's feeling more comfortable because it's nine months of not saying "honey." Uh, I just put, I just took fifty thousand bucks out of this account to cover this, but, yeah. but you know, it isn't the same as, you know, having a job as president of Warner Brothers, where, you know, where where the world is, you know, you're your oyster to me. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, so how do you struck you structure it as a loan i guess you're, you're loaning the company so you will get paid back uh, but you've not made you're paying yourself are you paying yourself
1: so the answer okay. is no the the salary that i came up with for myself and my colleagues way back when when we launched yes. um i took for about two or three years uh-huh. and then as we started to run out of money i think before we did the first layoff people took pay cuts you know, yeah. from $160,000, $180,000 a year, everybody took, a, you know, a $20,000, 30000 a year hit. And, yeah. and I've been paying myself uh, probably about 17% uh, of what my salary was 11 years ago today. So I'm paying myself, you know, a measly $24,000 um, a year but we're getting to the point where I can be able to get myself back on um, track. And now we actually have new investors coming in and we have people from all over the world reaching out from royal offices in, 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 in the Middle East to you name it, because now the world has realized that what we do is what the whole world of advertising will do, and that we do it as well or better than anyone, and we're about to make big announcements about how we do it on television now, which I would argue, you know, may be, um, you know, the, the, the bigger deal even than the Facebooks and the Googles. Okay, you you mentioned
0: before the show that there was there was uh, some uh, some events that sort of happened where you. You gain product market fit because if you made it sound like you didn't feel like you had product market fit for some time until recently,
1: can you talk more about that? Well, that's pretty much just people. You know, I would go to I would talk to brands all day long, and when I would say, you know, it's not a good ad target, when you Uh say items picked specifically for you, which is an email I get, and it's a tricycle. And my youngest yeah. child is 23 years old yeah, and yeah. it's oil of Olay, which for some bizarre reason scares me a little bit. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, those aren't logical items out of the 185,000 SKUs that they have at a Target store. Those are two of the least likely items that I need versus items picked specifically for me. And for years, Macy's would scratch their head and say, I don't know what's wrong with talking to you about dresses and high heels and women's jewelry. Um, We don't, we don't see a problem. We don't understand why we would want to talk to you about things that you care about and that are relevant. And, And, and now they're, they're saying, yes, it makes sense to tell you where your local McDonald's or Burger King is and not have the attitude. If they like it, they'll look it up on Google, you know, we believe make it easy. How do you reduce friction? You know, if we tell you about a product, is that a product I get from a delivery mechanism called DoorDash or is it Uber Eats or is it, you know, how do you, how do I get these? Where is this store? Um, where is this movie playing near me? When is this television show available? Um, you know, don't talk to me about winter coats anymore in Los Angeles because it's pretty sunny and warm here, but I live yeah. in New York for 40 years and had five winter coats so yeah. if you talk to me about winter coats it's a stupid ad you can talk to me about shorts you know all year long
0: yeah that makes sense and so, <laughs> was there a time was there a time that you remember though um that it says, okay this is going to make it is like i'm going to be okay this is and do you remember when that was
1: um well what happens is you say that to yourself every day, or how can you get up at 5.30 a.m., start on these calls to Europe at 6, 6.30 and 7. And last night I finished you know, with a client in India who renewed us for another three months, and I finished uh-huh. with them at 10.30 p.m. So my typical day, probably the other thing that's upset my wife, I've always been a hard worker and worked yeah. hours but I wasn't necessarily doing it from 6 a.m. until 10 o'clock at night because I was in the domestic business so I wasn't talking to the middle east or india yeah. or all these other territories that I talked to at 8:30 9:30 and 10:30 at night um, and then of course I'm exhausted and go to sleep and wake up and start again yeah, yeah, um, yeah so I always felt confident I you know there's just this intuition You know, logic has always played a significant role in my decision-making. Should people be able to press a button and watch what they want? Um, You know, I, I don't believe that brands have what I call customer journey or customer experience. The only person who thanks you and me, in my opinion, in my life, is if you and I went to lunch or dinner tonight. On the way out of the restaurant, a host or hostess would say, thank you for coming. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, if you buy a car or you buy a watch, no one says thank you. If you go to disneyparks.com and sign up to be on their mailing list, they will send you thanks for being added to the mailing list. And it looks like a receipt from DHL that you've just sent your aunt a package where the Disney theme parks are the place where magic lives. So to me, it's yeah. intuitive that it should say, Jordy it's Mickey mouse or Woody or this one or that one. I'll be yeah. Thanks for signing up. We're the place that magic lives. And here's why you want to buy your tickets for you and your family. And they're $250 each. Of course you hide that to the side, um, <clears throat> but you do something that represents your brand. You don't send the dullest, you know, worst looking message in the history of mankind if you're the number one entertainment brand in the world, which Disney currently is, having beaten Warner Brothers, and if you're the place where magic lives. Um, So I believe they'll get there. Um, Just how many people do I have to talk to and show them their version versus the version that we recommend they do, where Mickey looks you in the eye and talks to you by name, because you've given them their your name and you've said, feel free to reach out and talk to me. Um, tell me about these parks and what's going on. So how do you do it in a magical, compelling, entertaining and enchanting manner that makes me love the brand to want to spend more of my hard earned money with them?
0: Yeah. And you mentioned you're getting new like investors reaching out to you now sort of daily. How are you handling that? Um... I mean, are are you wanting to take on money or are you, I mean, how does that affect your sort of
1: delusion? Yeah, no, we're, it's, I'm not a believer in, ooh, it's all about how much you own. It's all about how you eventually win. So every day I hopefully get a little bit smarter and primarily what I know is we would be better if we had these five additional people and we would be better if we had these 10 additional people and 15 additional people. Um, um, so I would like money, not even, you know, well, first of all, I'd like to make my wife happy and get salary again. Um, but, uh, but I would like to bring in more people to make us better and try to win, you know, what I'll call this arms race. There's many things that we're doing where, you know, we have two, three, or four, competitors and uh, they can spend more money than we can so um you know and in turn have you know more people doing it and more touch points and tentacles out there you know in the marketplace so we want to compete more effectively
0: Okay. And it sounds to me like when you first got started that you were the, you were, this is a fresh idea. You were the first platform to do this. When did these other competitors come up and how do you differentiate yourself from these competitors? Good question. So, um,
1: so first off, uh, we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, and, uh, so primarily, um, what happened is a variety of different competitors. We call the places where we allow a brand or an agency to do this. We call them channels. A channel is email, a channel is Facebook, a channel is Google, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, Uh um, your brand's app. So what, so there started to be people playing in the business and, um, and they were, touching one or two or three of these channels. So we believed and still believe that the world will embrace this and people want to do this everywhere. So let's go back to BMW. It's not just about your email or your BMW app or your BMW Facebook ad you're going to want to do smart, relevant, data-driven ads that have meaning to that ad recipient across all these channels where you spend money, time, and energy. So we differentiate ourselves by being the most omni-channel solution. So we do this on more channels. Um, We decided to integrate with more types of data because every scenario is different. So you know, if we're doing this here, how do we talk to you about something that's relevant to you with two grown ish boys in Switzerland, uh, versus somewhere else, um, more versions. Some people okay. want only a hundred, they cap out at a hundred. Well, if you have 4,000 stores and you want to tell people where the nearest store is a hundred would mean that you're not able to talk about 3,900 additional stores. So we came up with lots of unique selling propositions. Um, you know, that that we talk about when we're comparing ourselves. And we actually, you know, end our presentations with, here's the competition, and it's sort of one of these, here's what comes standard in our car, here's, you know, what you can't get in the other car, except for it's, you know, a list of capabilities. And we have about 47, and our competitors have like 7 to 27 So if you're interested in 47 things, we're better. If you're only interested in email or Facebook and three other guys do it, then we may not be, you know, the better choice for that, for that client.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Um, We're getting close to the end of our agreed upon time, but one question I'd like to uh, end with, um, and in your case, particularly relevant, what would you tell yourself now, all the things that you've learned and. Uh, and go back and tell your previous self from 11 years ago when you were just getting started. What would you tell your? this, These are the things that, that I've learned that you need to pay attention to. Um,
1: well, certainly um, try to raise significantly more money. So, um, what happens is that at the beginning, a lot of people sign off on your idea. Oh, this is a brilliant concept. I want to be part of it. Four years later, when you're not generating a lot of revenue, a lot of people don't want to come in anymore. So, you know, so raise as much money as you can um, in the beginning, in the beginning. And right. because, why? Because it's going to take two, three, or five times longer. You know, we don't really believe there's anything, you know, rare exception is there an overnight success An overnight success, you know, takes 20 years. So there's a yeah. competitor of ours that just got sold for $500 million. Yeah. Um, you know, they were around 10 years before us. They do about half of what we do, okay. um, but they were, you know, so that 20 years into their journey, they sold to a giant, you know, media agency for 500 million bucks, which is sort of one of the goals of doing these businesses. Um,
0: yeah. Okay. For, and and, and what, what are the things about, what about self-funding?
1: Um, well, I mean, people would say, you know, never use your own money. I think that actually, you know, was a benefit except for, for the Frankel family financial condition. You know, it was much easier when I would sit at my board meeting with my wealthy, terrifically nice, smart investors and tell them what was happening and everyone would be impressed. And many of them know that these things take much longer to happen than, than we originally thought. And, uh, And I'd say, we're going to run out of money after they all say it's great. And I'll say, I'm willing to put down 250,000 bucks. And I was the poorest person at the table by a long shot. Okay. Um, So they would say, count me in too. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay, so you, in your, in that position, Nick, you, you you feel like that really was well, you, appropriate get, some, you get some credibility. It, yeah, you're putting yeah.
1: your own you're putting skin in the game. But yeah, no, yeah. I'd rather have fifty million dollars, you know, from Blackstone, Apollo Group, or Sequoia Ventures, or or whatever. You know, maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, well, thanks again, Eric. So much for your time. Can, uh, where can people find out more about your story if they're interested? Sure. Obviously, we'll have ad greets in the show notes. But where can people reach
1: out to you and find yeah. if well, they want well, to? Yeah, we respond to everyone who writes to us um, okay. every day, and you know, and I highly recommend that to anyone who's listening. You know, in other words, you have to treat everyone the way you would like to be treated. Um, yeah. So if I'm writing a note to BMW, you know, I'm sort of shocked that they don't re- respond with the credentials we have and, and all of those things. Um, so that. you can write at info at adgreets.com. You can write Eric at adgreets.com. Um, okay. You can know, go to a website and click buttons that allow you to fill out forms and, and say hello and send resumes or, or, or ask questions or tell us that you're the CMO of a giant brand and you believe Um, that you should be doing this instead of one version of one ad. um, And we'll be glad to explain why this works.
0: Okay, great. Makes sense. Thanks so much again for your time, Eric.
1: Jordy, nice to meet you. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening, and your software Big Break could be right around the corner.